0: Hi, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. I'm glad you decided to join us today for the second part of our series, Getting Christmas Right. I think you would agree with me that we don't wanna get to the end of this season and look back and regret the missed opportunities we had. Uh, So we need to be intentional about moving toward God and walking more closely with Him and making some wise family decisions and making some wise uh, decisions about how we use our resources to bless other people this year. Uh, Because when we get to the other side, we want to look back with great satisfaction and say, this was a Christmas we got right. Well, I wanna look at this nativity scene again for a moment. Uh, You've probably seen hundreds of nativity scenes like this. Uh, Nativity scenes are a beautiful picture of community. Uh, You see Joseph resting his hand on Mary as an expression of love and support. Uh, You see the wonder and joy in Mary and Joseph's face. Uh, They're filled with anticipation and hope. Uh, You can tell there's a lot of love there. Uh, Shepherds and wise men are standing nearby in awe and wonder. uh, And even the camels look happy. Well, today I wanna show you the behind the scenes price that Joseph and Mary paid in order for the nativity scene to turn out as beautiful as it is. And my working premise in this message is that the love and the deep community captured in the nativity scene is actually the result of several hard fought battles that both Joseph and Mary had to engage in and win for it to look as wonderful as it does. And really what I'm suggesting today is that for your life to communicate the same level of love and community that the nativity scene does, you're gonna have to engage in several similar personal battles. Uh, You're gonna have to fight very hard and with God's help, you're gonna have to win these battles. Now for background content, I wanna read a different part of the Christmas story today from Matthew one. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right, with this as a backdrop, uh, let me describe the first battle Joseph and Mary had to fight and win in order for the nativity scene to look as wonderful as it does. Uh, It's the battle for righteousness. Righteousness. There's a phrase that's particularly important in this passage. Uh, It's the phrase, while she was still a virgin. Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married uh, and an engagement in the first century was uh, more of a commitment than it is in our day. In our day, you can kind of go in and out of engagement, not in the first century. Uh, When you became engaged to someone, it was a public deal. I mean, you went on public record in front of the village that you were a part of and you announced the engagement. And it was a binding relationship that for sure was gonna lead to marriage someday. Um, And so we can assume Joseph and Mary were completely committed to one another and fully intending to spend the rest of their lives together. But the writer of scripture indicates in this little phrase that they decided not to have sexual relations until they were married, which would of course be a part of God's law. Now, why is this significant, this little phrase? You see, in that day and in our day, uh, sexual purity is a battle. Uh, In the first century through the 21st century, it takes a total commitment to personal righteousness to honor God with your sexuality, especially in a loving relationship or engagement headed toward a marriage. Uh, But Joseph and Mary battled for purity in their relationship. And with God's help, they were winning the battle. Uh, Similarly, today, Whether we're married or single, young or old, uh, we can fight for sexual righteousness, sexual purity. We can fight for marital fidelity. Uh, We can fight to make sure our minds are pure with regard to what we uh, look at on the internet or watch on TV. And with God's help, we can win this battle. And with God's help, as we win these battles for righteousness in the area of sexuality or any other area in life that calls for integrity, we can wind up living with a clean conscience. Uh, We can live with a peace that surpasses human understanding. Uh, Maybe you've already begun to roll your eyes on this one. You're wondering to yourself, you know, what's the big deal whether I fight and win the righteous battle? I mean, in our day, who really cares? I mean, in a world like ours, millions of people every day would be guilty of violating biblical standards sexually. I mean, you're really expecting someone like me to pray and strive and discipline myself and fight for personal integrity? I mean, come on. This is the 21st century. I mean, This is modern America. What's the big deal about winning the righteousness battle? You see, the Christmas story reminds us that righteousness is still very important to God more important than you and I could ever imagine. And we also ought to realize that personal righteousness touches every relationship we're in. Personal righteousness is important, not just to God, but to people in and around your life. And I'll say this as simply simply, and as directly as I can. Your personal righteousness matters. Your sexual righteousness matters. Your verbal righteousness matters. Your financial righteousness matters. Your ethical, uh, corporate righteousness matters in a major way to God, and it matters in a major way to every life your life touches. In fact, let me pose this question to you. Do you think God would have chosen Joseph and Mary to be the parents of his one and only son if they had been careless with regard to personal righteousness? I don't think so. I mean, there's always been a connection between righteousness and God's hand of favor and blessing. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It doesn't mean God doesn't love people who've lost their way. It doesn't mean uh, God doesn't want to reclaim lives that have gone astray. It just means that when he's looking for someone to pour his favor on, when he's trying to select someone to give like a, a kingdom kind of adventure to, he tends to choose the righteous, those who are walking in his way. Sometimes I wonder if we would even know Joseph and Mary's names had they not fought and won the battle for personal righteousness. They may have been passed over altogether for the role that they played. And sometimes with a trembling heart, I wonder what opportunities or what adventures have been withheld from me, because at times in my life, I've lost the righteousness battles in embarrassing ways. Do you ever wonder that about about yourself? Sometimes in the overall scheme of things, we forget that God has a world that he's trying to reach and we're the kinds of people that he'd like to reach the world through. He's looking for someone who will walk his way that he can entrust kingdom kinds of uh, responsibilities to. Personal righteousness is very important to God. It always has been and it always will be. Now, something occurred to me this week, and that is some of us will not get this Christmas right until we make something right in our relationship with God or until we make something right in our relationship with someone else. For you to get Christmas right, you're gonna have to make something right. Now, you can delay that. Uh, You can just stick your head in the sand and say, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Or you can step up, and you can engage in the battle for personal righteousness. And I would suggest you begin the battle today um, that you roll up your sleeves and you say, okay, I'm gonna make something right with God. I'm gonna try as hard as I can with God's help to make something right with someone I've wronged. And I just wanna remind you that on the other side of a righteousness victory, uh, there is a clean conscience. There is a liberated spirit. There is a sense of peace. And I hope Joseph and Mary's righteousness victory and all that came their way as a result of it will inspire you today to get this Christmas right by making something right with God or by making something right with someone else. And only you can do this, but I'm calling you to do it. I'm calling you to fight the battle for personal righteousness and to seek God's helping hand in it because you can win the battle with his help and you'll be so glad you did.
1: God is looking for those who are wanting to walk in his ways, people who are willing to fight the daily battles for personal righteousness. Now that's a big church word. An easy definition is doing what's right in the eyes of God or as we would say, living a Christ-centered life, to think, act, and be more like Jesus in every area of our lives. It's a journey because it requires growth. We're excited in the new year to launch a holistic pathway for spiritual growth that will help you answer two questions in your journey of Christ-centered living. How am I doing and where do I need to grow? This pathway will include a personalized spiritual assessment that will provide you with a look at your strengths and growth areas, provide resources you can use for personal growth and opportunities to join in groups with others who are on the same journey or one-on-one coaching. We believe this will be a catalyst for spiritual growth for many, if not all of us in 2021. You'll hear more about this in the weeks to come. Let's rejoin Matt As we continue with the behind the scenes story of joseph and mary
0: all right there's another hard fought battle that joseph in particular had to fight and win with god's help in order for the nativity scene to be as warm and loving as it is joseph had to fight a battle for graciousness and it was a hard fought battle Uh, it's difficult for us to fully understand what joseph went through And so I want to retell this story in a more modern setting so that we can kind of get our arms around it. Imagine living in a small town where all the kids go to the same school, uh, everyone in the town goes to the same church, and everyone pretty much believes the same way. Uh, The highest value in this little town is traditional family values. Uh, It's a very culturally conservative town. Uh, You're engaged to be married to a pretty young woman who everyone in the village knows very well. And they know she's not just a pretty young woman, she's a godly young woman as well. Your upcoming wedding is the talk of the town. Uh, It's the social event that everyone's looking forward to. Uh, You feel the eyes of the village on your courtship. Uh, You know how important it is for you to get this right. Uh, So you put on a clinic when it comes to dating. You spend all of your together time with her family or your family. Uh, you walk and talk in public places only. Uh, you both want to live up to uh, your personal spiritual convictions. Uh, and whatever you do, you're not going to disappoint the people of this little town. Uh, you're not going to risk their wrath because you know you got to live there the rest of your life. Well, one night you bring this pretty young woman that you're engaged to to her doorstep. And she says, before you go, Joseph, I want you to know that I'm pregnant. And you cringe because nice girls don't even joke about stuff like that. Uh, But then your mouth gets dry and your stomach starts to churn because you can see in her face, she's not joking. What comes next is a kind of internal boiling rage welling up inside of you because you know you're not the father. You've never even kissed her. You haven't touched her in that way. Uh, You've never even been alone with her in a private place, Uh, but obviously someone else has been alone with her in a private place, which reveals a kind of deception and betrayal that you didn't think existed in this world. Two words wrestle back and forth in your mind, pregnant and father. Who's the father? And you're running through the list of names in your mind of all the young men that she knows. Now look at this little phrase buried in the Christmas story in Matthew 1. It says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. I don't know if we can fully grasp the weightiness of that verse. Shortly after the most devastating betrayal a young man can experience, Joseph tries to figure out how he can deal with his own disappointment, uh, but he also tries to figure out a way not to shame Mary. Uh, Now, do you think that just happened reflexively? I mean, do you think that he went from rage and disappointment and confusion uh, to grace-giving and wanting to protect her? Do you think that was just kind of a natural response? I don't think so. I think Joseph had to fight to get from rage to graciousness. I think he had to fight to get from disappointment and the feeling of being betrayed to the place where he wanted to preserve and protect Mary, despite what happened. Now, my guess is when Joseph first got the news that Mary was pregnant, he considered other options. I mean, I would have. I bet he considered dragging Mary in front of the whole village and saying with a voice dripping with sarcasm, so you all think that Mary is the poster child of morality, do you? I mean, you think that she's like the cover girl for traditional values. Well, she's not. She's pregnant. She deceived me and all of us this whole time. I mean, she's not who you think she is. I can imagine Joseph wanting to have said she may be claiming ongoing innocence. She says she doesn't know how this happened. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm not the father. And as a result, I have no intentions of continuing this engagement or even marrying her. So take your poster child for morality. You can have her, I'm done with her. I mean, that option had to cross Joseph's mind. I imagine most people who would be wronged in this kind of way would wanna hurt the person who hurt them. But Joseph didn't act on that first dark impulse. Joseph dug down deep and found strength to engage in the battle for graciousness. He opened his mind and his heart and his hands to God saying, God, in this terribly disappointing and confusing situation, what would you have me do? Like, what's the high road? how would you have me act? All right, time out from this story for a minute. Let me just bring this to today. We all have people who have hurt us in some way, betrayed us or wronged us. I mean, even in good families, no one gets it right all the time. Uh, There's usually some hurt somewhere. Like Joseph, we have a decision to make. We can act on dark impulses that make us wanna inflict damage on people who we believe have wronged us, And sometimes we do this in very sneaky, sarcastic ways. Or we can follow the lead of Joseph. We can engage in the battle for graciousness and we can wrestle with God about what a higher road would be and about how maybe we could treat someone with grace instead of judgment. Now, I'm not saying this is gonna be easy. I'm just saying that if we are Christ followers, it's something we need to do. You know, maybe your parents have wronged you. Uh, maybe your brother or sister has done something or said something that has hurt you. Maybe your spouse has hurt you. I mean, how long are you gonna make them pay? How long are you gonna hold that over their head? At one point, do you look at the bloodstained cross and say, I was forgiven for a mountain of moral debt and motivated by that, I now choose to be gracious. I now proclaim grace and declare forgiveness to those who have wronged me. Now maybe you've been wronged in a significant way and it's gonna take more for you to get that sorted out. It might take some counseling. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying it's necessary. It's necessary. When does the cycle of holding each other hostage stop? I mean, who breaks the pattern in your family? Let it be you. Let it be me. Let all of us at Blue Oaks be the ones who say, we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ for so much. We'll take motivation from that and become grace-giving people to those who have wronged us or disappointed us. Parenthetically, after Joseph started to take this high road, he decided, I'm not gonna disgrace Mary. I'm not gonna expose her to this public humiliation. Immediately after that, the writer of scripture says in Matthew 1.20, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and informed him that the child Mary was carrying was not the result of immoral activity on her part. She, in fact, did not betray him. The Holy Spirit touched her womb in a supernatural way, and the baby was none other than the long-awaited Messiah, the one who will do the atoning work that redeems this fallen world. I mean, can you imagine how glad Joseph was in that moment that he had not brought Mary to the village and disgraced her or humiliated her? I mean, can you imagine how glad he was that he extended grace to her? This is just a personal confession on my part. I've done both. I've engaged in the battle for graciousness and I've fought hard and with God's help, I've granted people forgiveness and grace and I let them off the hook. And I've done the other, where I've made people pay. And I've never experienced satisfaction in my soul for making someone pay. I mean, I thought it would feel good, but it didn't. Every time I've worked for graciousness with the help of the Holy Spirit, every time I've canceled a debt, decided to bless instead of curse, I mean, that's when I've found satisfaction in my soul. And you will experience the same thing. I guarantee it.
1: Becoming grace-giving people to those who have wronged us or disappointed us often falls in the category of easier said than done, doesn't it? Hurt can run deep, wounds leave scars, and honestly, time does not heal all wounds. But when we think of the grace and forgiveness we've experienced from Christ, we find our motivation and ultimately a sense of soul satisfaction. The question for many is, where do I start? That's the goal of the next steps we provide each week. They're practical steps that will give you opportunities to take the principles we talk about and put them into practice. Two of the next steps you could take this week include, I will make something right with someone I've wronged, or I will battle for graciousness and will take the high road. Maybe someone you've wronged came to mind as I read that first step. Or you already know that it's your default in conflict to be anything but gracious or take the high road. Why not act on one of those next steps this week and see what God does? As Matt said, this may not be easy, but if we're Christ followers, it's something we need to do. Nothing will change in us if we don't make an effort to change and next steps are a way to start. I encourage you to check out all the next steps we've provided in the description of this episode or in the downloadable discussion guide. Let's finish our look at Joseph and Mary.
0: All right, so the angel said to Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. You've been selected to raise the savior of the world. And now this presents Joseph with one more spiritual battle uh, that I want to talk about today. It's the battle for trust. This is the battle that pushes Joseph to the very edge of his faith uh, because the battle for trust forces Joseph to come to terms with his willingness to walk by faith and not by sight. The battle for trust means listening to what the angel said, listening to what the spirit was prompting him to do, even though it made no human sense to him. Now we need to understand Joseph is being asked to trust that the father of Mary's child is in fact the Holy Spirit and not another man. I mean, that's a big one. He's being asked to trust that taking Mary as his wife is the right thing to do. It's not gonna backfire on him later. And that's a big one. Beyond that, he's being asked to name the baby Jesus, which means he's the one who's gonna save people from their sin. I mean, Joseph's trust battles were not easy. They pushed him to the very edge of his faith. And sometimes our trust battles are equally as daunting to us, aren't they? I mean, for starters, all of us are being asked to trust that this whole Christmas thing is real and true. We're being asked to trust wholeheartedly that God, in fact, did visit this planet in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus was born miraculously to two Jewish peasants and grew up in a blue-collar town. I and mean, we were being asked to believe that at 30 years of age, he started a public ministry where he healed and challenged and comforted and taught people. And then at the end of that three-year ministry, uh, he shouldered the sins of the world and hung on a cross between two common thieves. We're being asked to believe that three days later he was resurrected and later he ascended back to the Father where from that time until this time, he's been reaching out to this fallen wayward world, uh, to people all over the world, offering them a new start, a more satisfying life and a secured future. I mean, do you believe all of this? It's a lot to believe, isn't it? Do you really believe this enough to stake everything on? Do you believe it enough to spread the word of the story to everyone who crosses your path? Or is it a battle for you to trust this? Well, beyond just that, God is asking all of us to believe that if we put him first in every area of our life and seek to honor him in everything, it'll lead to a more fulfilling life. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Is that easy for you or do you have to fight for that? Beyond that, God is asking that even though some of us this Christmas are facing medical challenges that have us scared, financial shortages, vocational setbacks, family heartbreaks, God is asking those of us who are facing very difficult situation this this Christmas to believe that he is a good God. That somehow, some way, he's going to orchestrate all of these circumstances into a plan that winds up being good for you, as Romans 8.28 says. I mean, maybe you're saying, that's a stretch for me this year. I mean, that's kind of a a trust that is going to take some work. You see, the Christmas story, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us that trusting God demands a lot of work. I've never really understood people who think Christianity is just for the faint hearted. I mean, to me, it's one of the most intellectually and volitionally demanding faiths in the world. I mean, you've gotta have mental discipline and a lot of strength to hang on to a Christian faith in a world like this that we're living in. I mean, it's not easy. And if you think you can just lay back and expect your faith and trust to just grow in an era like we're living in, I mean, You just can't get it done that way. You've got to fight the battle for trust. You've got to read your Bible. You've got to memorize parts of it. You've got to study and learn. You've got to be around people who can uh, encourage and kind of reinforce your faith. You've got to make a commitment to a church that will help you when you're losing the battle. It's not easy. But we're still asked to fight the battle for trust. Are you fighting it? Are you fighting it this Christmas? I think if Joseph and Mary were here today, right at this moment, they would say that they had to fight with all of their might to win the battle for righteousness and to win the battle for graciousness and to win the battle for trust in their situation. And I think they'd tell you none of it came easy. And I think they would also add that at the heat of the battle, they found help from the Holy Spirit. And I think they tell you that when the battle was over, the payoff was worth it a thousand times over. And I guess I'm here to tell you today to engage in the fight. If we're going to get this Christmas right, we're going to have to fight for righteousness and graciousness and trust. And if we do, we will not only get this Christmas right, we'll begin to get every season of the year right. We'll begin to get our marriages right. We'll begin to get our families right. We'll begin to get our friendships right and our church right and our work challenges right and our eternities right. But we're gonna have to fight for all of that. And we're gonna have to realize that it's not gonna be easy. All right, before we sing a closing song, I'd like to ask you to look at the Christmas child, Jesus in the nativity. It's a little staggering to think about it, that the savior of the world lies in a bed of hay, that the hope for the human race came as a child. But when I look at that scene, I think, man, I'm so glad Joseph and Mary fought their faith battles as valiantly as they did. I mean, they got Christmas right. But today is our day. This is 2020, and we've got a couple weeks between now and Christmas Eve. And I hope every one of us will fight valiantly for righteousness and for graciousness and for trust. And I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, 11, uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.